0: And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you
2: speak then? I am a revolution. let about what we didn't do. Amen. Then it speaks to us and the possibility for us as a future person. Because ultimately Our people's future resides on what we do outside of the White House.
3: African descent fairly, America failed put them in the lowest paying jobs, put them outside the equal protection of the law, kept them out of their racist bastions of higher education, and locked them into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God bless America. No, 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 not God bless America, God
4: And now to our common ground. Blog Talk Radio.
1: Common Ground, Alternative Activist Empowerment on radio, speaking truth to
0: our and
2: ourselves.
3: Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro, that's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you
0: speak then?
5: Let's about what we didn't do amen
2: then it speaks to us and the possibility for us as a future person because ultimately our people's future resides on what we do outside of the White House. African descent fairly, America
3: failed. Put them in the lowest paying jobs, put them outside the equal protection of the law, kept them out of their racist bastions the of higher education, and locked them into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs. Build bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God bless America. No, no, no. Not God bless America. God bless.
4: And now to our Common Ground with Janice Graham.
3: Pieces of a man I saw the thunder and heard the lightning And felt the burden of his shame For some unknown reason never turn my way pieces of that letter we talked about the room now I hear the sound of sirens
0: Come through the gloom
4: But they don't know what they are doing They could
3: hardly understand Only the rest of it. Pieces of a man
6: Of course Trump fucking won. What is everyone so fucking shocked about? Jesus, the media, the political elite, the pollsters, the markets, you, uh, a drawer on the floor. How can everyone be so fucking stupid? Hillary Clinton what were the Democrats thinking? Hillary, don't get me wrong, I wanted Hillary to win. i personally vote for Lucifer over Donald Trump. Trump, the pussy-grabbing, wall-building, climate change-denying, healthcare-abolishing, tax-dodging, shit-spewing demagogue. How shit have you got to be to lose to that? Where was Sanders? Why wasn't he on the ticket? I, uh, I have no doubt in my mind that Sanders would have beaten Trump's Trump, hands down. But instead, they chose Clinton, a candidate who's been cozying up to the banks and dry-humping corporations for years, who is on record telling her corporate friends that you should have a public and a private persona. In other words, don't tell the truth to the plebs or you won't be able to rip them off. She'll do. That was the feeling. What did they think was going to happen? People keep saying to me, how did this happen? They're, They're dumbfounded, but it's so simple. The left did this. This is, this is my fault, people like me. When are we going to learn? The left have given up putting any argument across at all to the point where Clinton is considered left, liberal. On many issues, Theresa May is less right-wing than Clinton. That's just a fucking fact. And yet my friends are on Facebook saying, I'm with her. I'm fucking not. Oh, but she's better than Trump. Sorry, that's not good enough. Clearly. Clearly it's not good enough. And if they didn't vote for her because she offered no palpable change whatsoever, same old shit, Trump represents a change, a terrifying change, but a change nonetheless. Hillary represented... Well, she represented very little, actually, because she protects corporate interests because she doesn't call the police when questions from the debate are leaked to her in advance. I noticed we barely reported that. Our argument isn't won by hurling labels and insults. Tory majority, government, uh, Brexit, uh, uh, Trump, what next? When will we learn that the key is discussion? If you are unwilling to discuss, then you are creating the conditions in which Donald Trump and people like him can thrive. But instead of persuading people to vote, she just, she just courted celebrity endorsements and then lost. What's going on? It's almost as if the political acumen of Beyonce and Jay-Z count for nothing. And then she loses it and, and loses the election and she locks herself in her hotel because she's too upset. Or because it had never occurred to them to even write a concession speech. Either way, grow up. I have no sympathy for her whatsoever. Be a better candidate. Donald Trump. The left is responsible for this result. Because the left have now decided that any other opinion, any other way of looking at the world is unacceptable. We don't debate anymore because the left won the cultural war. So, if if you're on the right, you're a freak. You're evil, you're racist, you're stupid. You are a basket of deplorables. How do you think people are going to vote if you talk to them like that? When has anyone ever been persuaded by being insulted or or labelled? So now, if you're on the right, or even against the prevailing view, you are attacked for raising your opinion. That's why people wait until they're in the voting booth. No one's watching anymore. There's no blame or shame or anything, and you can finally say what you really think, and that is a powerful thing. The Tories in charge. Brexit. And now Trump. And all the polls were wrong. All of them. Because when asked, people can't admit what they think. They can't admit what they think they're not allowed to. The left don't allow them to. We have made people unable to articulate their position for fear of being shut down. They're embarrassed to say it. Every time someone on the left has said, you mustn't say that, they are contributing to this culture. It's time to stop moaning. It's time to stop crying over spilt. Fucking Brexit! It's time to stop ignoring your opponents, or worse, trying to silence them. It's time to stop banning people from speaking in universities. It's time to stop thinking that reposting an article on your Facebook feed is political engagement. That banning a gymnast from doing what he's good at because he insulted someone's religion somehow achieved something. And sorry, when did the Gymnast Association start thinking it was appropriate to start enforcing blasphemy laws? It's time to realise that reading The Guardian doesn't make you a liberal. That retweeting Greenpeace doesn't lower your carbon footprint. And if my mansplaining is triggering you, you can either fuck off to your safe space or you can engage and debate me and tell me what I'm getting wrong. Because Trump just won the White House. Being offended doesn't work anymore. Throwing insults doesn't work anymore. The only thing that works is fucking bothering, doing something. And all you have to do is engage in the debate. Talk to people who think differently to you and persuade them of your argument. It's so easy, and the left have lost the art. Stop thinking that everyone who disagrees with you is evil, or racist, or sexist, or stupid, and talk to them. Persuade them otherwise, because if you don't, I'll tell you what you get. You get President Trump.
3: The nigger is necessary.
7: You're the nigger, baby. It isn't
3: me. Get out the things that you best believe for the hell to pay Yeah, you best believe for the hell to pay
0: and When you sit there and you write them fucking notes on your pad
3: About who you think I am and why I did it and all of that You're gonna the swim, you're gonna learn the truth No
5: matter what you do, you're gonna learn the truth Who are you? Who are you? And we will make... America great again
3: yeah you best believe boy, hell to pay Sam.
4: Our Common Ground. Thank you for joining us tonight. Transforming Truth to Power, one podcast at a time. Stay tuned. And now, Janice Graham.
5: And good evening and welcome back to Our Common Ground. I'm glad to be here and I'm glad to know that you are here as well. America has not changed because we have elected a brute for President. We are in the same place that we were in last year this time. And that's what we've come to our common ground to talk about tonight. And to help us out, we have a co-host tonight. He is, and he is no stranger to our common ground, Dr. James L. Turner is the author of the book, Black Nationalism in the United States, from Malcolm X to Barack Obama. And um, he is no stranger. He's a professor and director of African American Studies Program at the University of San Francisco in California, and we're going to get started and bring him right in. Dr. Taylor, thank you so very much uh, for joining me tonight. How are you? I'm great. I'm doing fine. Thank you. Good, good. Um, Dr. Taylor, I want to start with your expertise in helping us guide and, and develop a, a framework sure. of what we should be thinking about, what the sum of our experience over the last 18 months, and our new relationship to a totally destructed democratic uh, party that we have always figured that ultimately we have to be associated with. Sure. So, give us an idea what we should be talking about. Yeah, tonight. I mean, I
7: think I think people need to sort of take a step back and understand what what really happened uh, this past week, um, and understand that there are a number of factors uh, that need to be uh, weighed, uh, and no one answer is going to be the right answer. No one factor uh, weighed in, I would say, uh, disproportionately, with the exception of James Comey's actions, the director of the FBI. Uh, I think. His actions uh, by releasing this information about 10 days out before the election uh, definitely redirected the, uh, the course of American history. I mean, this is no small thing that happened here. Mm-hmm. By the virtue of uh, Donald Trump becoming president, we have um, a madman in the White House, uh, and he's, what's more frightening than him is all the sick people he's surrounding himself with and considering, like Joe Arpaio, Um, the black Uncle Tom police chief from uh, Milwaukee, whose name I won't even use. Um, He doesn't deserve any respect. Um, Sarah Palin, Joe Arpaio, Rudy Giuliani, a great enemy of black America, uh, is being considered for the uh, attorney general position, and they're talking about nationalizing, stopping frisk. This is a a nightmare for black America. And if you don't don't feel a nightmare, it's because – it's because you, people have been lulled to sleep, to think that everything mm-hmm. was already running automatic on automatic pilot and all we black folk had to do was just keep on living and dying and everything is going to sort itself out. Uh, but clearly we've all been given uh, a rude awakening. And I think it's important for, you know, the, the, the levels of awareness for black America should have already been fever-pitched 18 months ago. And so if you need more evidence at this point to convince you that this is a racist era, that I would, I would sit here with anybody, Cornel West, you bring the scholar, I'll, I sit here with any of them and argue fierce, uh, forcefully that this era of the 20s, of the 2000 era, is as fierce as anything the civil rights generation experienced, as fierce as anything black people experienced in the 19-teens, in the 1920s, during the Lynch pogroms and the white riots. This was mm-hmm. a white riot at the, at the voting booths, where nearly 60 million white people somehow cooperated with each other and mobilized at the last minute to effect a historic uh, change, because we were on the verge of a New Deal kind of moment, where you had, basically, since Bill Clinton, you've only had eight years of George Bush, and then you got, uh, then you, got uh, you know, you had Barack Obama's eight years, and then they were on the verge, the Democrats, of really establishing a new New Deal era, another 30 to 40 year period of domination, where you have one small eight-year block of the opposition party, like when Eisenhower was involved, you know, a part of the New Deal. Eisenhower is the only eight years, between 32 and 64, that the Republicans get. So we were on the verge of that. We were on the verge of an Obama New Deal type uh, of era for 40 years of one party dominating, at least at the, in the White House, um, because the Democrats have won, se- well, really they've won seven out of eight. And only contest that they really lost outright is 2004. In 2000, they won the popular vote. In 2016, they won the popular vote um, and still did not get the the reins of power in the White House. And, And so I think it's really important for people to understand that the Democrats got what they deserved. But it's also true that the Democrats performed. I know this sounds crazy. But if you really pull back and look at what really happened, Hillary Clinton was up flying, uh, you know, 50,000 feet high, just cruising. She was going to go to all 50 states and shore up her uh, Senate support and her House support. Hillary Clinton was you know, favored by 90% to win, and then James Comey's actions changed everything. And Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. everybody's been pretty stunned ever since. But I think it's important for us to understand that Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. So for people to attack and say she lost, she ran a bad campaign, no, all of that is just foolishness. Hillary Clinton ran a very good campaign, a very good campaign, that was winning the entire race until the Friday before the vote, when James Comey, Engaged in the most extraordinary activity anybody has ever seen, a director of the FBI uh, conduct publicly outside of, of course, J. Jago, who Hoover's evil. But I'm talking about in this kind of way of politicizing that office in the in the particular way Comey did uh, this past week. It was stunning what we saw. It was a coup. We effectively saw it, a coup. It, it absolutely was.
5: And and that was a coup d'état effected by the KGB, the FBI, and WikiLeaks. Thank you. And one of the things that is very clear is that it is illegitimate, and no one is talking about it. No one I is mean, talking about how the tide changed, as you just described, within ten days. Yeah, because it was I a wrap. It was
7: a done deal. The question was how yes. big is Hillary's victory going to be, and all I mean, of that. So. For people, all of a sudden, it was making me sick. Again, I did not vote for Hillary Clinton. I am no Hillary fan. But I've been arguing with people ever since she lost to try to pull people out of their hypocrisies. All of these hypocrites, all of these black folk that act like Hillary's been the devil, when they were kissing her behind so deeply and so hard that they had to be pulled away from her when Obama ran in 2008, it, it, it took... Joseph Lowry, I think Benjamin Hooks, and um, a couple of other well-known black people, national black figures, to convince black America to get off of Hillary and get onto Obama. And then these white folk that hate Hillary, that voted for Trump, these people forget that they hated the black man so much that they joined and supported Hillary and created a movement called Party Unity My Ass, P- PUMA. That was a group of white racist Reagan Democrats who refused to support the black candidate, and they supported Hillary. She was their champion, and now she's become the worst woman in the world. But from 1995 to 2015, from 1995 to May 2015, Hillary Clinton was the most admired woman on the planet Earth for 20 years. And as soon as she declared her candidacy in May, her popularity took a 20% drop in June and then July, and she never recovered, and she's been considered an evil person ever since. But everybody was loving Hillary. She won as First Lady. While still First Lady, she became a U.S. Senator, defeating Rick Lazio and the devil Rudy Giuliani. Everybody loved Hillary. And now all of a sudden, because of this I, let me say this, and, I, and I'll take a breath. There was a white man named David Brock. He is the founder of Media Matters, if people want to look him up. This man prosecuted Hillary Clinton, went to Jonesboro, Arkansas, found the troopers in the original Troopergate in the 90s. This white man effectively, as a young Turk Republican, did all of the uh, surveillance and exposed the Clintons. He brought the Clintons down. David Brock, he brought the Clintons down. When he went into the opposition research to look at how corrupt Hillary Clinton was, David Brock did, when he opened up the files on her, he couldn't find the devil that he was looking for. So he ends up creating media matters specifically to defend Hillary Clinton against Fox News. The man that the Republicans hired to bring the Clintons down, and he did. He brought them down. The impeachment of Bill Clinton comes out of the uh, spying of David Brock and others. David Brock... In trying to prosecute Hillary Clinton after he exposed them, trying to find this evil in her, he couldn't find it, so he ends up creating media matters, and to this day, he's her number one defender. I I was on a public forum with this man um, at the Commonwealth Club out here in San Francisco not long ago, and I asked him, like, how did you have this road to – Damascus conversion where you like Paul are going around trying to kill somebody and before you know it, you on the road to Damascus get blinded and you, all of a sudden you on the side of the people you trying to persecute. And he said, because when I went in to see this demon woman, she wasn't there. And that's what I think mm-hmm. everyone, uh, watch, watch, watch how soon, in about a month or two, all of a sudden the likability of Hillary Clinton will, re- will, will reset and everyone will all of a sudden remember how they and why they like Hillary Clinton. Basically, well, I
5: think that's happening already right uh, exactly. I think that people are looking at the popularity votes. people are looking at uh the real meaning of wikileaks right in the light of right. comey, comey and yeah. in the in the light of who <coughs> yes and the, and the and the Russian connection to the trump campaign and beginning to believe well how all of a sudden. Is she so evil that we're willing to turn over right. the right. empire to right. the empire masters? Right. You, you know, my concern, and I want to talk to you about this, my concern is that in our community, we have had over during this campaign, We, I was off the air <clears throat> uh, for the last four months. I, I just felt that... There was so much chaos and confusion going, or, going on in the black discourse, discourse about right. this campaign that I wasn't going to participate in political gossip right? because nobody was dealing with the facts. Nobody right. was addressing the political economy right. uh, uh, and, and, and getting prepared to right. take advantage of where we were We weren't dealing with the Democratic uh, Party. Uh, We weren't challenging them. We didn't over the last 18 months. And white liberals, in their rush to be done with racism, ended up failing to inoculate the country against. Uh, So, uh, you know, and, and a lot of us were blaming the crappy black leadership class, but we knew that they were willing to say whatever their white liberal paymasters wanted to hear.
0: Right, exactly. So this was
5: an active process for which I felt, as a broadcaster, as a commentator, as an activist, that I had no value in. Mm. So mm. I went off and I did some other stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I brought a, a young black woman to the Massachusetts uh, Senate, and okay. I did voter education, and That's I right. did civic forums, so, right. because this wasn't working for us. And I couldn't make it work, okay? That's right. So here, here was this active process. And in order to protect the feelings of white liberals, we stopped talking about the material conditions, racialized justice demands that we needed to place on our government. That's
7: right. That's
0: right.
5: And then we rebounded by saying, well, Hillary's not talking about that. Taylor's not talking about that because we're not asking her to talk about that. We're not demanding that she talk right. about it. What's really interesting so, is I, I was I reviewing
7: an academic paper recently uh, about campaigns, and it showed that, especially with the Democrats, that once they secure, uh, let's say, the, uh, the, their candidate and have their nominee, they tend to run away from the issues that actually uh, – reflect their main base instead of running to their base because we're black the democrats secure us and then uh, in the fall they normally in other words they'll, they'll, use, they'll speak to us and campaign during the primary but usually around august and september every four years the democrats just turn away from black issues and don't discuss them anymore and that happened i think this time too we really didn't see hillary sort of flesh out a comprehensive uh, you know critique of race she talked about Trump's personal racism, and she talked about the need for different reforms around criminal justice, but she did not in any way, I think, uh, you know, speak to black people in a coherent way about the general moment in which we're living and how this is an epic uh, era of, mm-hmm. of, of mm-hmm. backlash that we have to forge
5: through. But we also, during, during this campaign season, knowing that Hillary was the chosen one and that within our community there was this fear that was being propagated that we didn't choose to try to get into the specifics of what people were saying when they when they were saying we can't trust Hillary we can't she's corrupt blah 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 and also mincing it with our 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 understanding and, and and feelings about Bill Clinton, you know, and I was saying right. I'm not even sure that Hillary Clinton liked Bill Clinton, but right. Aside, right. aside from that, then right. there was the factor, and I I want you to talk to us about the factor that the um, Bernie Sanders primary yeah. competition yeah. seemed to change yeah. the tide. Not for the campaign, because you've always got to have an inside and outside um, strategy, but how it changed voters. Right. And and for the life of me, I cannot understand anyone who uh, did not understand that Bernie Sanders was part of the Democratic Party structure and strategy. Right. And to the extent to which, after Bernie spent so much time, Senator Sanders spent so much time trying to decide how he was going to support Hillary, and the question of why Sanders wasn 't on the ticket yes, yeah,
7: and I think that was her fatal decision was to keep it keep it keep it establishment she didn 't even think creatively um, she didn 't even think that she needed to. Um, Consider this Maybe she waited for a minute But she never took it seriously And I think that was a fatal decision But again We're talking about what's happened Since it's happened Um, And I think we need to recognize She didn't need Bernie to win She was doing fine without Bernie she did not need Bernie. We act like Hillary lost. Hillary won the popular vote. Hillary was winning the entire thing until James Comey actions changed it. She did, not need, she did not need Bernie Sanders to win. But now Bernie's people want to say she needed Bernie to win. No, she was winning without Bernie just fine. I, 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 I prefer Bernie, and, and Bernie's ideals are closer to my own values, and I think he reflects the, the mainstream of the civil rights movement, even though he calls it socialism. I think he is closer to Martin Luther King um, than Hillary Clinton was in his values And his arguments and his critiques. Obviously, he worked with Core back at the University of Chicago in the 60s. But there was something about Bernie Sanders' campaign that uh, is reflective of youthful interest in politics in general, which I respect. But every four years, we get this. We it was Rand Paul, Mm -hmm. it was Ron Paul, it was um, you know, it was jumping up behind Ross Perot back in '92. Um, We see this every four years, where a bunch of People who just got the right to vote act all interested and all excited about somebody who has no chance on earth of winning, and then they get all pissed off at everybody when that person doesn't win. It's a stupid thing. I'm sorry to sound so blunt, but I'm I'm sort of frustrated with the way in which people are talking about this thing. Bernie Sanders lost because Bernie Sanders couldn't connect with black people. And now all the black folk want to act like Bernie was connecting with us the whole time and, and he just got treated wrongly by Donna Brazil and the Democrats and that's what happened. No, Bernie was not talking to us. And when he was, black folk wasn't hearing it. In fact, black people went out of their way to sack Bernie Sanders throughout the primary campaign. And I kept saying on TV, radio, and news out here in the the West Coast that it's so strange to see the black movement be used to stop Bernie Sanders when he is the closest thing to the civil rights movement that has gotten to the White House so far. Jesse did not get as far as Bernie did. Um, And Obama certainly doesn't reflect the direct civil rights movement. He's, you know, ancillarily connected to it. So Mm -hmm. Bernie, who was a member of CORE in the 60s, chained to a black woman in Chicago, fighting against the University of Chicago's uh, gentrification, et cetera. Um, You know, Bernie is down with us. Uh, But, one, our our Protestantism as a black people, as a black Protestant Christian people, are turned off by socialism because of the alleged atheism of it off the bat. And then um, he uh, is coming from the, the whitest state in the Union, Vermont, next to New Hampshire. So these factors, I think people who are on this Bernie trip, need to take a step back and stop, and just stop it. Just like uh, Sarah Silverman said during the uh, de- Democratic Convention, you, you Bernie uh, uh, supporters, what did she say, are ridiculous or absurd? To me, for the Bernie people to talk now, like, all we had to do was go with Bernie and everything would have been victorious, you're talking about a 74-year-old white socialist from a white state, and you're asking black people, Latino people, gay people and all these other Democratic voters to support a man who didn't really identify. I know you said he's a member of the, you know, he's a Democrat in terms of caucusing, but he didn't play the Democrats' insider game. And mm-hmm. like Donna Brazil and, you know, uh, all of these different people of playing, you know, uh, what's her name, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, um, they had no loyalty to Bernie because Bernie had no loyalty to them. He was not a true Democrat. And they treated him like he was an outsider trying to become a Democrat. The same thing happened Mm -hmm. in the the Republican campaign. Donald Trump is not a real Republican any more than Bernie Sanders was a real Democrat. Both men represent these white people who are angry about their white value and the property of their whiteness being lost. On both sides, Mm -hmm. in the left and the right, these white folk are mad because they think that this country has reneged on the value of their whiteness now that they see the country browning.
5: Mhm mhm but you know one of the intriguing parts of this is that the same people in the states that Hillary Clinton needed to win
4: Wisconsin,
5: yeah. Ohio, Pennsylvania voted for Obama overwhelmingly yeah. in 2008 and 2012. Yeah. So it's that confuses but I think I, I think the well, They were going to vote here. for. They
7: were going, and I'll be consistent. They were going to vote for her too, and then when Comey sent this letter, that blew it all up. Both people, in fact, Hillary came out today in the Washington Post, and they're saying she she contributes, she attributes her her defeat and the campaign does directly to Comey's actions specifically, and then they say that the letter had the effect of scaring off those nervous people that were going to vote for her anyway maybe 3% of the last-minute people who were inclined to vote for Hillary because they knew Donald Trump was bad, you know what, crazy, they um, were persuaded by that letter to ignore their common sense, and it just fed into this narrative that Hillary is a bad human being, untrustworthy, a nasty woman, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And yet we had... 200, uh, I think it was something like 200,000, like 2 million emails of George Bush and Dick Cheney disappear. That's not important. The, the, the American media reported three weeks ago that Donald Trump was trading with Fidel Castro during the Cuban embargo, and nobody did anything about it, but the American media reported it, that Donald Trump mm-hmm. was trading with Castro during the Cuban embargo. and And because he's white, it doesn't matter. And I've been throughout this region, saying to mostly white audiences, all of this nonsense with Donald Trump, I said it last night, is because he's white. A woman of any color could not act this way, and when Jesse ran in 84 and 88, the first thing these people started asking is, what does Jesse want? And then Al Sharpton, nobody would take him seriously. You know, and this is like Louis Farrakhan decided to run for president, and these devils decided to vote for him, because that's the effect of what Donald Trump is, somebody who you would imagine this country would never allow near the White House. Like mm-hmm. Louis Farrakhan would never be allowed, uh, I wish he could get near, but they would never let the brother near the White House. And it's, the only reason Donald Trump got this close is because when all else is said and done, he's a man, and he's white. And that's all they have left available to them of Hillary Um, was I think a lot of this feeling about the dishonesty of Hillary was simply sexism. I think a lot of it is reducible and, and reducible to sexism, in the same way people can't really explain exactly what it is about Hillary they don't like, it's something about her they don't like, they don't know exactly, it's something, they'll throw up some stupid talk about Benghazi, they don't know where Benghazi is, and they'll talk about her emails, and I, and, and I would like to see 35,000 of my emails, y'all don't want to see 35,000 of my emails, you don't want to see five of my emails. What would we mm-hmm. see if we looked at 35,000 of your emails? or 35,000 of the audience's emails, or 35,000 of Bernie's emails. What if Bernie used the N-word in his emails, but we are all acting like Bernie's innocent because we never seen Bernie's emails? What is in 35,000 of Donald Trump's emails? So this is what I'm trying to get people to see, that we have been hoodwinked, bamboozled, led astray, duped by the KGB and the FBI working together against this woman, and y'all want to point to her flaws? You want to talk about her when the most powerful investigative agencies on the planet Earth brought her down in, in clear view for the whole world to see? We all knew that Trump had um, this guy who was uh, getting paid millions of dollars by the, uh, by the, by the Russians uh, working for him as his campaign um, leader, and then, he, and then he kicked him off. This guy's working directly with Putin. This is some deep stuff where this is the stuff that got Paul Robeson. And WPB supports, and other people
5: destroyed. Putin, Putin is, 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 is really a conduit between mm-hmm. the Russian financial Wall sure. Street, quote-unquote, um, operatives, and Trump. This right. is not about Putin. This is not about Russian politics. It's about Russian finances.
0: Right. That's right. The
5: country is broke and it has to broker itself back into the global That's right. uh financial um right. playground. Right. That that's what this is all about. Yeah. And yeah. and 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 their their resentment that German and French and UK financial systems will not let them in. Right. But, and, you know, but let what... me ask you a question let me ask you a question that really is at the heart of all of this, and that is a simple question to the extent that capitalism in America and how it has failed people yeah. American citizens play into all of this. Yes because i think
7: that's really that's really what's happening. Um, neoliberalism was a li- a deliberate decision made by the likes of uh, Deng Xiaoping in China, Ronald Reagan, um a Gu- uh, a Pinochet, a Pinochet in Chile and Margaret mm-hmm. Thatcher in London. Those are the four personalities known uh in the right around 82 83 who make a a deliberate decision ar- around that time to go in this sort of neo uh, capitalist way and direction that is effectively sort of Adam Smith, um, you know, Wealth of Nations, or, or you know, this sort of attitude of of capital is you know on a global scale is the priority of the, of of government, as opposed to you know people and democracy and maintaining uh, the societies that people live in, and so it's really um, capitalism that is intention. What's really I mean, Donald Trump is not possible if people are living well. Donald Trump is not possible if the people in those outer, you know, those hinterlands are experiencing the 4.9% unemployment that Barack Obama and I think the about, you know, five or six or seven years of straight, you know, job growth, even if people aren't pleased with the kinds of jobs. um, You know, this has been an ongoing thing. And so for... Uh, you know, for us to understand and, again, to not realize that what Donald Trump represents, what both political parties represent, I think they are like the uh, band-aid uh, on the large wound of uh, the outsourcing of jobs, the, uh, the elimination of entire sectors. The manufacturing sector uh, has been gone for, for, you know, for decades now. All of these factors, um, the way in which, um, you know, capital has been... Uh, aggrandized in a few uh, com- countries and few uh, systems. Huey P. Newton talked about this concept of revolutionary intercommunalism. It was his dying philosophy. And what he uh, argued was that intercommunalism was accepting the fact that now countries no longer really matter as much as these international entities like the World Bank. International Monetary Fund, the G8, G7, these kinds of communities, he called them, Huey Newton, um, were self-interested and not committed to global democracy, etc. So he said that ordinary people across borders have got to be responsive on a global level at the local level we all need to respond locally, and if we respond locally in Oakland and you respond, uh, 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 lo- you know, locally back east and, and et cetera, we effectively across borders begin to form a counter, uh, uh, balance to the, uh, the, the encroachment of capital and globalization and, neoliberal, and neoliberalism in the world. So Huey Newton is probably, to me, the best, has offered the best solution for grassroots people to respond to these developments both in the U.S. and, and in abroad through intercommunalism. It's, again, because the international entities are communities, we have to stop thinking of ourselves as countries and begin to think of ourselves as communities that respond to these international uh, commitments and, um, and try to change the, the international uh, order. But capitalism mm-hmm. has been in distress in fact, we've moved probably past capitalism into neoliberalism. We're probably on to some new form of economic, uh, as you say, political economy that the rest of us just haven't been informed about just yet. But, but, but something is going on on a grand scale, because what happened in the uh, U.S. with Trump happened in England with Brexit. It happened in France with uh, Le Pen. Um, it's happening throughout the world, um, where we see mostly European colonial powers Rebuffing um, and, and 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 recoiling against the influx of their former colonial subjects in their borders. I saw a meme recently that said only the United Kingdom, only England, would um, after after spending centuries of colonizing the entire planet, um, want to withdraw from Brexit or from from union from the European Union because the former colonial subjects are now coming to that country. You know, and that's the kind of thing I think we're dealing with. Capitalism is in distress and it has been. Martin Luther King often said that there's something wrong with our economic system. He said there's something wrong with capitalism. And I think that black Americans need to uh, recognize that the American capitalist system has mainly benefited off of us as the raw material uh, from which to profit, from our free labor as enslaved for 400 years or roughly. Um, to the you know the years of inequality uh, and advantage disadvantage uh, promoted by Jim Crow laws, uh, I think uh, Ta Nehisi Coates' his work last year really brought out well in uh, in the nation uh, the way in which contemporary living Black Americans were still underdeveloped by Jim Crow and their lands and properties have been taken by a contemporary living whites who. Who they could, you know, should be able to claim that land back from. So, so capitalism. Uh, there's a number of really good books out now about the essential role that slavery and black bodies played as the raw material. We were the, we were both the labor and the material. Um, and no other group can say that. Other groups can say they were exploited as labor, but nobody can say that we were both the labor and we were the capital of capitalism. We were. The capital mm-hmm. of capitalism mm-hmm. when it cut its teeth we were capitalized upon and I think black people you know who are all into you know like hip-hop into this whole neoliberal embrace of bling and of, of you know material wealth and consumerism is part of the spiritual crisis we are feel, uh, <coughs> experiencing and why Donald Trump is a, 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 mm-hmm. a, the, the, mm-hmm. the president because I think him being a billionaire made a lot of American idiots believe that somehow his uh, ill-gotten billions, which, aren't, which we aren't even sure if they're billions, by the way, because we've never seen his devil's taxes, um, uh, that somehow his money is going to trickle down and benefit them. So you could be the poorest white dude in West Virginia. You think that somehow before you die, you're going to get paid like Donald Trump. And that's the stupidity that makes capitalism survive. And the reason why I think Killer Mike beautifully put it out the other day to break down why the um, white working class of America has never been able to reconcile and work with the black working class, and that's because the white working class values the property of its whiteness more than it would money and economic elevation. I'll say that again. The white working class values the property of its whiteness and is content to be broke and white in West Virginia or anywhere in America. They're content to be broke and white, Um, than to be uh, more well-off, but having to give up whiteness. Mm
0: -hmm. They will not
7: sacrifice whiteness. So when people say that the white working class always votes against their own interests by voting for the Republican Party, and why does it? it's like that's a fool's errand to chase after that question, because the bottom line is they do it because it works for them.
0: Mm -hmm. All around America in the
7: last 10 days, white people are walking around feeling good about themselves.
5: Which is why we have to understand that although the labor leadership in this country always supports the Democratic Party candidate, right. right, the labor membership does not because they don't want to lose their stuff and they don't want it, want it redistributed because it encapsulates them in their white privilege right. bubbles. That's right. That's right. And, and you see, know, what, what, one of the right. things is interesting, and it, it it caught my brain last week, a week before last, when Comey came out with this letter to the Congress about reopening the email scandal.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: Is Loretta Lynch is? You know, I'm 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 not a political gossiper, and Loretta Lynch is. I've known her since her days at Harvard and she's my soror. But this relationship that she has with Rudy Giuliani and how that all got played out and as the U.S. Attorney General, she had no position on what he did and took no action which she could have. She could have suspended him.
7: Yes. And and he needed it. I mean, something needed to be done, and Obama sat back and did nothing. And, and again, this comes back to race and and the good Negroes and Uncle Toms and playing well. And, again, I'm not putting these people down. I'm not even calling them that. I'm talking about the, the mentality of black people in general historically has been to please white folk. And I see that, talked, I said that to my wife earlier today, talking about Barack Obama, when he was asked recently, why did he not say something about voter suppression in North Carolina? Uh, Brother Wilmer Leon, who's a, a political scientist, uh, yep. reported uh-huh. this recently, um, that Barack Obama's response was because he didn't want to sound too black. To make him too black. So the hell he with Barack Obama? Converse-
5: he had a phone conversation, but this is yes. the same Barack Obama who showed up, many, many months too late in Flint, drank a bottle of water, drank some water, and said right. it's good, and walked right. off into the, into the, right. into the sunset.
7: And, and then for him to, basically what he did, and, and nobody else is going to say this, but I'm going to say it, what Barack Obama did to black America was take their votes in 08 and 12, 94 and 95, 96 percent of unanimous black support And he parlayed his black political capital on behalf of gays, lesbians, uh, LGBTQ issues and causes. First, don't ask, don't tell policy. They didn't even ask him to help, and he gave help voluntarily, trying to be like John Kennedy in the 60s, taking up the Negro cause that John Kennedy never really took up. But Barack Obama did that with the gay movement, so he takes up the don't ask, don't tell, then he uh, tells us all he thinks he's evolving and, and, and persuades even many people in the black church to come around on that issue, to his, advan- you know, to, to his betterment, more power to him, And then the last thing was related to these bathrooms in North Carolina. Here you got black folk who created Nike, who basically sustained Nike uh, sneakers, who basically, uh, you know, supported Michael Jordan in his early career, and then Nike and the NBA go out of their way voluntarily to tell both at Georgia and North Carolina, and the gays weren't even asking for it, help. The gay organizations Mm -hmm. weren't even asking for the NBA or Michael Jordan to get involved, but they voluntarily got involved on the, the, the bathroom issue down there in North Carolina. What I'm saying to you is that Barack Obama took up issues based on the political capital we gave him and did not use them to our advantage as black people, he used them to the advantage of gay people, and of course there are many blacks who are gay, more power, but he did not, um, he would not promote a domestic agenda supporting the black American group in the way that he adopted a domestic agenda supporting the gay American group. And I say that because, as a political scientist, I know that American presidents do not like to deal with domestic American group uh, issues because it's a losing game, because the opposite group will rise up and there's a division. But when it comes to foreign policy, the president Uh, is much more inclined to engage in foreign policy issues because Congress and the people have to defer to the president. So for Obama to go out of his way, to take up gay issues and gay questions and gay uh, concerns, voluntarily, without them asking him in in any, you know, public way that I know of, um, what I think Obama did was took our vote and helped their issues, and then he came back to us last week, about two weeks ago, and said, you all need to come out and support my legacy. you got to stand with me, and if you don't, uh, everything I've done is going to be undone. And we're looking back like, wait, okay, Uh, number one, he did, uh, number two, he did, uh, number three, we're going to save, black folk couldn't even point to one Mm -hmm. coherent black thing that they were trying to save, except Obama's legacy itself. That's what he asked him mm-hmm. to do. Save the fact that mm-hmm. I was the black president. Preserve that mm-hmm. because, and they did not. And I am convinced that Obama's presidency will be effectively erased by Donald Trump. So that's what's really evil about what happened
0: last
5: well, week. It's there, as if we never had a black president. It. When he when he announced on Friday that he, Donald Trump, I won't even I, I won't even no I, I can't even say president no president elect but anyway when when Trump decided that he is going to uh, keep some parts of Obamacare, the National health insurance program, they are going to redress they're going to keep most of it, change some words and rename it, and it will be the trump. These are some Delivery of health care. Yeah, they this really is, are. Have, the, word, the word I've been using more
7: recently than any other word is the word devil, I, the, in the way Malcolm used it. And, I, and I'm sorry if I sound unenlightened, um, but I just refuse to allow these people to act like they are somehow enlightened and evolved um, people when they continue to be, as a race, immature. White people as a whole are immature when it comes to race, as a world historical people, they are the only people on the planet who have obsessed on it for 500 mm-hmm. years. Nobody else.
0: Mm-hmm. Nobody mm-hmm. else.
7: Mm-hmm. Not Asians, not Arabs, not Africans. Nobody else on the planet has been obsessed with race like the white man has, and he's only been on the scene for 8,000 years. we got countries older than the white people are, and this is based on mm-hmm. Harvard University research that I'm citing about the recent evolution of whites in terms of their arrival 8,000 years ago, and when they do, they come telling their parents and their grandparents, who are the brown people of the earth, guess what, we are the original people, we are superior to you. This is what they've done in their madness. And, and it's come mm-hmm. undone in front of the whole world because what we saw was effectively a race riot at the polls this week, where white folk and about 20% of non-white voters, about 8% black people, and 20 uh, plus percent, I think 29% of Latinos, uh, mostly men, um, Voted for Trump, uh, uh, white people are clear on what they did, and they won't even look you in the eyes right now because they mm-hmm. know what they did, mm-hmm. and they and, did and it intentionally. The people, and I want
5: people, it, I want people in this audience to understand the reaction that they were met with on Wednesday morning at work or in the grocery right. store or at the church. Right. It was all a ruse. And it's going to get worse. The people you were talking to primarily are the people who voted. For Donald Trump, I put out a number and an email just I sent one email uh, to all my friends and said twenty six and that meant that twenty six of people I could think of off the cuff of my head right I knew voted for Donald Trump. This should right. not be a surprise: That's right.
7: No, it really shouldn't, understand. but I, it, is, it is because it actually happened. But I, I don't think people understand. I think, I think those like, young people here in California who are immigrants, uh, the Latinos who are very afraid, um, they get it. And I think Muslims get it. But I think black people still think Trump and Rudy I, – I, I mean, they think they're playing with us. Like, oh, you know, they're not going to come after us. What, what, what makes you think they, they already have they, – they, they frisked 700,000 black people in New York. And, and, and all the weapons they found were on white people. They didn't even find weed or guns on black people when they did these stop and frisk in New York. They stopped 800,000 black people in the year 2010, and all the weapons they found were on a handful of white people. Uh, and this man, Giuliani, is a demon being, who is who about to take his evil to the national level, and he's coming after us. And if you don't think he is then you haven't been paying attention to the fact that it is all Rudy Giuliani's policies that led to Mike Brown's death, that led to Eric Garner's death, that led to um, Trayvon Martin's death. Yes, I know all these situations are very different uh, details. One is not even involving a cop. One, uh, you know, one is in uh, uh, um, St. Louis. The other in New York, and Rudy Giuliani is in New York. But what I'm saying is all of this encou- these encounters with law enforcement, not one single incident of the well-known publicized cases has been a black criminal taking a gun, shooting it out with the police. Not one. Not one. Not Trayvon. You're ab- not Mike you're Garner. Right. Not Th- Philando Castile. Not uh, the, the brother uh, Alvin, Al- Alton Sterling. None of those brothers were engaged in, you know, they had weapons where they were shooting at the police, and the police killed them. All of these people, Sandra Bland. Um, uh, Out here, the the brother they killed, Mario Woods, the the mentally disturbed brother. All of these folks. Rice. Right. All involved in petty, petty crime. Petty crime, if any.
0: Yep.
7: Most of them weren't involved in any crime, but, but, but petty crime. And so Rudy Giuliani's whole impact was stop and frisk. He and a dead scholar named James Q. Wilson, who uh, was at my alma mater, Pepperdine University, and he was also at UCLA, he came up with this book and this concept called Broken Windows. And Broken Windows was basically an idea that if a neighborhood doesn't fix the neglected public spaces like windows or basketball courts or rims or graffiti, then it signals to the gang element and the criminal element that this is open territory and, and free with, um, you know, it, the Nino Browns of the world can come on in and take over and right, set up.
0: Right, and so their right.
7: idea was... You know, take care of the small crimes. Take away the, the squeegees from guys on the corner wanting to, you know, wash windows at, at intersections. Take away the carts from the shopping carts. Uh, these are the small things that came from Woodrow, uh, James Wilson, James Q. Wilson, and
2: Rudy
5: Giuliani. Petty con- crimes that contributes to the uh,
2: deterioration. The confrontation.
5: We've, we've got to take a break, but thank you for being with us on sure. our common ground. My co-host tonight is Dr. James L. Taylor. He is the chair of the Black Studies Department at the University of San Francisco. Our number is 347-838-9852. If you would like to join us, and we do invite you to join us in our conversation tonight, you stay tuned and uh, email a friend that you're here. Don't forget to join us on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at, at Janice OCG. And I am so glad to be back. I really am. I think it's time uh, tonight we're saying we must reboot for a new era of struggle, and we when we come back, we'll be talking with Dr. Taylor about how to move forward.
0: yes, yes this is-
3: Winter, winter in America
4: You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time
0: And
3: now it's winter Winter
0: in
5: America Thank you again for being with us here tonight at Our Common Ground. My co-host tonight is Dr. James L. Taylor. And we're going to go to our phones, Dr. Taylor. 646, you're on the air. I respect you in the second hour.
2: Hey, BJ, I respect you. Good to hear you back on the um, telephone, radio, internet, whatever it is.
5: Hey, hey, listen. uh, uh, It's a broadcast, Jay. (laughs) And Good to listen, have
2: whatever you it is, it's your, your voice that's what counts. And hey, listen, we got to realize one thing and learn to accept it and place ourselves in a position to move forward. This is a white man's country with the support in the backing of his white woman. She just proved it. You know, the thing is, everybody talks about how great Hillary Clinton is and how she's this and that. Hillary Clinton is basically, in my opinion, an animal. She's no better than Donald Trump, what she did to Gaddafi, what she's done around the world, what she's done to the Haitian people. And then she has these Negroes who go about helping her out in her destruction of African people, like the Donna Brazils, who now have basically been wiped off the map. You know what I mean? Let's keep it real. They've a lot of
5: people in this.
2: and, And the thing is this. She could have, if she really cared about the country honestly, she could have stepped back and said, no, everybody's saying that I can't beat Trump, which was a reality if you understand geopolitics. And, yes, Bernie could have beat Trump because he had the support of the young people. Those people who voted against her would have voted for him rather than voted for her. Instead, they went to Trump.
5: So the problem no, is all add, of this, too. Let's, let's, let's bring Dr. D- Dr. Taylor in uh, to respond to some of the content of your uh your, your, um, Yeah, I mean, I, no, I appreciate comments. the brother's
7: passion, and he obviously knows what he's talking about. Um, my, my only concern, again, is I've said I did not support Hillary. Um, I do not support Hillary. As a student of politics, my job is to sort of bring out <clears throat> the issues. Um, so I don't want to be in the position of people thinking I'm here defending Hillary. I, I'm just calling people on their contradictions, because even this brother, as he's talking about these things that uh, Hillary has done, most of them were not things that, that she did. She didn't give the order on Gaddafi. That was the president of the United States. She's she's a part of his administration. She had no say-so in what uh, she carried out. Her job is to do what her president tells her to do, but nobody's condemning Obama. Farrakhan did. Farrakhan put the blame on her, but he also put it on Obama and said that we got a murderer. That's what, those were Farrakhan's words. We got a murderer in the White House when he killed Gaddafi. Um, but, again, what I'm trying to say is that most of this stuff is Monday morning quarterbacking. Most of what this brother is saying, he's right, but he's right because we now can look back and say what is and what is not. Like the like the man you had leading in, the British man uh, that was doing all that cussing and all that hard talk, all of this certainty, all of this confidence, Constance. all of this, all of this. He knew what he was talking about. How we couldn't imagine. Yes, we all should have seen this coming. Everybody's talking at stupidity now, but nobody, But everybody was shocked on Tuesday night because they knew it wasn't supposed to happen. But now everybody is looking at the Internet, got their arguments together, so now they want to lay them out and tell us what they knew before yeah. the election. Yeah, That's just yeah. foolishness, and I have a little patience for it.
5: Let's go to 404. You're on the air. I respect you. Thank you for your call with my co-host, Dr. James Taylor.
1: Well, I respect you as well. Thanks for taking the call. Uh, yeah, th- there's a lot to go into with this stuff, and if, if y'all allow, just uh, real quick, I-, I think when we look at this, we're going to get all the, okay, it- it's this or it's that. When it's, you know, it's a whole pie of, of different things. How you split up the pie as far as uh, putting blame, you know, that-, that that depends on the person when you start looking at it. So racism, sexism, culture war, uh, party mechanics, all of that stuff had, you know, had, right. had something uh, to do right. with how- th- this failure, essentially. And when we look at somebody like Hillary, you realize she is your typical liberal. She had her, the, the most defining moment to me of this whole thing was the basket of deplorables. She had the chance to confront white supremacy racism right there and say, okay, this party, we're going to draw the line here and, and secure our base and go after a little bit of the center. They chose to go after the center and act like they were going to pull those white voters right. in. She backed down on the basket of deplorables, uh, deplorables comment. And from then on, uh, it it was just her recruiting people who would never accept her or never accept the Democratic Party, especially in this culture war race, because that's what this was. When they were debating and she was beating him point for point, it didn't matter to the people who supported him because all they wanted him to do was stand strong and be boisterous. It didn't matter if he had facts. It didn't matter if he was winning arguments. All they wanted to see was their guy win the cultural war as far as the debate. So, you know, to see her pick Tim Kane uh as the VP and uh you you talked about this on on this show before. Uh this, this guy had that 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 program uh Project Exile. Uh this guy was, yes. you know, anti-abortion. Like all these different things. Richmond, Virginia, uh, he's writing Yeah. You're right. He's he's writing op-eds about uh releasing the banks from, you know, uh, from restrictions. So you know, I'm just watching all this play out, and then I'm seeing people trying to come up with any way to explain this way besides racism. And if they right. can't find something, they'll invent it. Like that's their his- that's their history. And when we look at Hillary, and they keep they keep saying, well, o- Obama actually brought out X amount of people, and Hillary didn't bring out. Yeah, because Hillary and Obama aren't comparable as right. as politicians. Right. That's right. like comparing JFK and Gerald Ford. Like right. no, you can't you can't use that as a metric or to say Romney. Uh, actually had this amount of black voting. Trump got, Robbie's a bad politician. Like, you don't make that comparison. So, you know, I'm I'm just watching all of this play out and watch the liberals try to come up with a way to blame black and Latino people for not showing up instead of confronting white people for what they actually voted for. When you lose, uh, you know what I mean? Uh, I'm trying to look at the numbers here. White women, 51% to Trump, to 43% to her. Okay. 52. Mm -hmm. Sorry. And, and then you look at, uh, they talked about, oh, these are uneducated voters. Well, college, grad, college degree, 49% for Trump. These white people had no illusions about what they were voting Thank for you. and who they were voting for. Yes, the only people with illusions are these damn so-called liberals. That's yes, so, right. Yeah. What you what know, I'm you're still watching all for, of this, for, man.
5: What you're saying <laughs> is essentially is America continues to be racist as water is wet. Yes,
0: Indeed.
2: Ma'am. <laughs> but, but Indeed. i love I love, I
7: love your analysis brother i mean I, I I can get off 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 the air right now, and just let you go because you got it and and you're hitting on all the right points um I appreciate everything you said. Um, and I think it's important to bring out that black women did try to, you know, there's, a, there's an article going around saying that black women were the only people who tried to save the world last week by, I know. you know, they came out and supported Hillary.
5: You know, it's really interesting because I got hit real seriously with email and Facebook and Twitter because I said Ida B. Will, that the, 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 the daughters of Ida B. Wells tried to make it right and the daughters of Susan B. Anthony yes, tried ma'am. to burn it down. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> and, that, and, and, that, and, and that's a
7: conversation I think. Feminism in America, much like Protestant evangelicalism, lost all credibility last week. Uh, you know, white feminists, a white woman at my job as a, uni- as a university professor, they're feminists anywhere, everywhere. No white woman can say another word to me about feminism at all that I want to hear in light of this development, unless it is Thank that I was against this and I was on the opposite side of our feminist move to support a man who talked about grabbing women's body parts. Um, uh, you know, so, so that, you know, that's the, the real problem is that, but, you know, black women... You,
1: and will, the, will those white feminists uh, confront their family at Thanksgiving, uh, coming up this yeah. holiday? Will they confront them, or will they continue to say, I don't like going to see my family, my family's this, my family that, but they have a good heart? No. You're always explaining away the racism of the majority of your family because you don't want to confront it, and and that's what we're dealing with right now. Let me
3: ask you, brother. uh, Tell me your name again. Naj. Nice.
7: Can class real quick, have you noticed a difference in the disposition of whites in general as you go about your day since uh, this has happened? Have you seen anything that I was talking about earlier about the eye contact and other issues, subtleties?
1: Yes, yes. Well, well I'll, put it, I'll put it on the class level. Uh, professionals have been kind of wishy-washy around me, but mm-hmm. uh, working class, as, as people would call it, have a little more pep in their step. I would compare it to the delusional black black people after 2008 (laughs) who were talking about my president and things of that nature. So I I would compare it to that. And and how different is Make America Great Again from Hope and Change, these these hopeful promises? The
5: same same (laughs) people who would do whatever they need to do, have five jobs and drive Uber to keep their kids in private schools away from urban black children,
0: Right,
5: uh, going around right. talking about they <laughs> mourning yeah. the the yeah. election of Donald Trump.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't change.
5: understand why we right. continue in our analysis of how this happened and our analysis of what could have happened. Why we continue to deny that this is about. What Donald Trump has said all along, taking their country back. Yes. Right,
0: right.
5: And the the
7: sad deception of that is, number one, it ain't never been their country. Uh, The brother who called previously uh, said this is a white man's country. It never has been. It may have, they might dominate and be, you know, obviously uh, the dominant group, but the reason why they are reaching out and lashing out to support an obviously ungodly, unqualified man is because, I posted this today. I think that because whites know that within the next 50 to 70 years they will be a clear minority, or at least part of a plurality of minorities and no longer a clear majority, that they have made a choice and a decision out of fear, not out of enlightenment, um, to support the retrenchment and going toward an apartheid direction, a white minority rule direction, like in South Africa in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, instead of a multicultural Brazil idea that we all are Americans and we all belong to this thing equally. So I think white Mm -hmm. Americans have made the decision that with Trump, and this, this is the beginning of it, we are going to see this again and again for the next 50 years. White people are doubling down. They are not going to assimilate into a brown America. They're going to double down, and Donald Trump is the tip of the iceberg. They are sending Giuliani to get you in, in line. They are sending exactly. Joe Appayo to get you in line. They're sending Sarah Palin. They're sending Chris Christie. They're sending law and order white America John Bolton.
5: John Bolton, (laughs) Newt Gendrich, call the roll. And we haven't even talked about uh, the uh, Supreme Court of the United States and what this all means for the court. But one of the things, let me just interject here, because I'm one of the few uh, black people in America that can really talk about and has been intimate with rich, controlling Powerful white mm. men, old mm. white men like mm-hmm. Trump. Mm-hmm. I worked as chief of staff for two of them who wow. founded and, and, and operated Fortune 100 companies.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: These are irrational, narcissistic
0: mm-hmm.
5: morons who have money mm-hmm. and power. And yep. that's what yeah. we have in Donald yep. Trump.
1: Yeah, you cannot reason I, with them. It, it, oh, right.
5: You cannot reason I'm with sorry. them because they rule as though they own the kingdom,
1: right? And that's right. what
5: we'll
1: it, see. It, if I could just add one more thing before I go, I know I'm talking a lot, but the the biggest thing to me, I've been passing around that old Baldwin essay, uh, whiteness and other lies, because I, I think that hits on the point you two were just hitting on, like okay. this ideal of whiteness that they've kind of worshipped and bathed themselves in. And decided that that's the factor that's going to be able to constantly get them the benefits, constantly give them the advantage. And now they think that advantage is not only natural, but their birthright. So that's that, the discussion uh-huh. that you know I, I think has to be had. Right, right. They're being they're being emboldened, and they put someone in office who, like you just said, this guy is a megalomaniac, it seems, who has this attitude and is unqualified to handle it. So more than likely. He's going to be dictated to by people who've been in foreign policy there yeah. for 40 years, you're, by all of these policy right people he's bringing in. He, he They put it in front of him. He signs it. If it goes well, he'll take credit. If it doesn't, he'll fire somebody or or embarrass them in some That's way. Right. So I think we're we're looking at an irrational, unstable situation to where we're going to see just, you know, things we've never seen before yeah. as far as that press roll.
5: I agree. That's right. You're absolutely
7: but, but right. I think it's important also to insert here, because I think, you know, Brother Taps onto an important concept, and that is the way, in terms of this notion of whiteness and other lives, people don't realize that because, like, low-order whites, so third-estate whites, the, 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 you know, the, the, the serfs of Europe, the, the Irish of Europe, because they could not be considered Anglo or, you know, uh, top, you know, top, I guess, Big, You know, big-blood white folk, as the old people used to say. Um, these uh, other whites, these lesser whites, the Jews, the Italians, the Polish, the Eastern Europeans, those who came in 1880s and 1890s, not those who... The Irish came in 1846, but... Uh, and the English, the British, they go back to the 17th century. But the more recent ones, those more recent whites that come in the 19th century, 250 years after we, after we were here, they have... Um, tapped into and created a category called Caucasian. Caucasian Mm -hmm. is a 20th century word that they invented, whites did, to accommodate those low-order whites who otherwise could not be Anglo like the WASP, the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant culture. An Irish person couldn't be a WASP. They were treated like we were. So uh, real quickly, the the whites are consolidating a unity around whiteness now that they really have not, had to form in the past, because there's a lot of division amongst whites, a, a, a lot of animosity amongst white ethnics that we assume is doesn't exist. But when we walk in the room, suddenly white people have something in common that they otherwise don't really have in common. And I think we need to be able to exploit that, that in many cases, white folk become white conscious as soon as black folk walk in the room. But otherwise, they have no interest
0: in each other.
5: <laughs> Right. Uh, for Man. those of you who are listening, I have posted um, where you can find um, James Baldwin's On Being White and Other Lies. And he wow. leads off in it, uh, it was written in 1984, and he—I mean, you all know that I am a student, and James Baldwin, I, I'm sitting here now in a James Baldwin sweatshirt. Okay, <laughs> and he's smoking a cigarette because cause that's my man. <laughs> right. But he leads off saying the crisis of leadership in the white community is remarkable and terrifying yes. because there is, in fact, no white community. Now another right. point that he makes in this, and I want people to be real clear because this is very important. He he, uh, he said he he, he says. America became white, and you all watch out because I'm saying this verbatim out of my head. The people who, as they claimed, settled the country became white because of the necessity of denying the black presence and justifying the black subjugation.
0: Yes, no
5: community can be based on such a principle, or in other words, no community can be established. This moral erosion has made it quite impossible for those who think of themselves as white in this country to have any moral authority at all, privately or publicly. Now I have to go back and read it, because one of the things that he does say, from Norway, for example, where there were no Norwegians, became white. By slaughtering Mm -hmm. the cattle, poisoning the wells, torching the houses, Massacring Native Americans and Raping Black Women. you got to read it. Yep. Thank you, Nas, for, for, yep.
7: for bringing that up. No, I really appreciate it. I'm going to look that up, brother. I'm going to read that as soon as I can.
1: Yes, indeed. Uh, Thank you all for letting me on. I'm going to hang on and listen. Y'all have now, a good night,
7: brother. I think, I, think, I, I think it's important for the for the the audience to also consider, you know, I, I'm writing a book right now, and it's taking me longer than I want to, but it's called People's Temple, uh, Jim Jones and California Jim Black Jones. Politics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I won't go into the details of that book, but just to say that I, I said this on NPR recently, that Donald Trump reminds me in terms of the way in which he talked about himself and the psycho- he created, he affected a as, as social psychology in the entire, in the entire public. We all were affected by it when he said, I'm going to get 95% of the black vote. The blacks are going to support me. He kept saying ridiculous, absurd stuff. He would throw it out on, help it stuck to the wall, and much of it, some of it actually worked. And I think um, what, what we need to realize is white people performed a potentially suicidal act in order to preserve their position in this country, and that's why I'm bringing up Jim Jones. I'm saying that Donald Trump is acting like Jim Jones, and again, I'm a student of Jim Jones in terms of studying his history, I am the, the, you are know, probably the best person right now in terms of scholars who are writing on this stuff, you know, in the archives here in San Francisco at the California Historical Society where all of the people's temples' uh, uh, history and documents are. So I'm looking at this big megalomaniac personality that persuades people against their own judgment, against everything they believe in, and he persuades them uh, in the movement for 20 years and then eventually kills everybody November 18 1978 I'm saying that what white people did the other day when they voted for this insane man they were like the followers of Jim Jones they were willing to kill themselves and their children for this devil in order to save the whole community they were willing to kill him mm-hmm. and that's what Jim Jones did in fact there's an article called saving the children by killing them about Jim Jones And Ronald Reagan. Uh, There's an article called "Saving the Children by Killing Them," and I'm saying that what what the white people did the other day, and the other handful of non-whites that voted, whites engage in what I see as a people temple styled, collective suicidal mentality in their willingness, knowing that with all of the warnings about Donald Trump and the nuclear codes, all of the sickness of him talking about giving bombs to every country, giving bombs to Japan, and giving bombs to Saudi Arabia, uh, nuclear technology to these countries. When people voted for Donald Trump, they knew it could be the, the end of everything, and they did it anyway. And that is what is really demonic to me about the way people voted on Tuesday. They were willing to let this whole country go to hell like Jim Jones did, in order to save white people going out on top. They were willing, even if they, they were willing to bring, to go down on the ship and and, and to take the ship down itself, even if the ship sinks, they wanted to go down as the apex group on that sinking ship. And that's the mentality you're dealing with, with, what white people did in their vote choice for Donald Trump, because it had a global impact. And what they did was a global message to us In the U.S. and to non-whites all over the world, Um, the message went out. um, And the question is, will Donald Trump go down? And when he does go down, will he take, Mm -hmm. you know, what what parts of this country will he take down with him?
5: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Your book is going to be published when, Dr. Taylor? I would say 2018, maybe 2019, if
7: I if I can't, you know, get more work Damn. done sooner. But I'm I'm busy every day, but but it's taking forever because it's so can, deep.
5: can you send me some drafts? <laughs> I, I will. I can send you a
7: little bit, but I can't send much right now. But I can send okay. a little bit. Yeah. You know,
5: but but it's really interesting that the last caller and we really thank him for his call, and we thank Jay for his comments because what what Baldwin says. In this piece, I, I mean, one of the things that I love about Baldwin is his raw honesty—that he is willing to sit in the midst of his bitterness and rage, yes, to bring truth forth. He says yes. exactly what you just said about Jim Jones, yes. But this cowardice, this That's necessity right. of justifying a totally false identity. And of justifying what must be called a genocidal history has placed everyone now living into the hands of the most ignorant and powerful people the world has ever seen. And how did they get that way? Yes. By deciding they were white, by opting for safety instead of life. Yes, ma'am. Because you just cannot look at this guy or hear him in any way. I mean... I paid a lot of attention to him because I know him.
0: Right.
5: And you can't tell me that people look through the lenses of their humanity and the issues which face all American people and chose this man. They chose their whiteness. I mean, and his wife was a be- woman
7: that... His wife is a woman that nobody can point their daughters to and say, this is a good role model for you. She's, she's a low-life, sleazy woman, and, I'm, and I refuse to play these games. And this is why Donald Trump got elected, because so much of this left liberal bullcrap has allowed us to, you know, defer to everything for everything, about every little issue we've got to get permission to say a word. But, you know, this whole notion of slut-shaming. You know, we're told now with with the internet, oh, let's not engage in slut shaming. But this is the same liberal, feminist, she's a, white she's left. A,
5: she's an empty person. Empty yes, ma'am. people marry empty pers- people. Right. Three times.
7: Right. But this whole, what I'm saying is this whole regime, for example, of this sort of liberalism that says, oh, don't you know this sort of feminist liberalism? Oh, we yes. shouldn't uh-huh. engage in uh, in slut shaming. And yet, those same white women that say we shouldn't. The great Melania Trump for plagiarizing before the whole country for being here illegally a year before we know that you know that she's supposed to be here legally, um, of messing around with Donald Trump while he was still married, all of this stuff, and and yet uh, none of that stuck. But Michelle Obama, of course, had to deal constantly with. Her arms being out was an offense to the Christians. This woman's got her vagina on the Internet, and it doesn't bother any of them. Pat Robinson's on TV talking about she's got a beautiful body, and it's the work of God. So for me, as a black as a oh, man... It was he a said
5: fu- that he said that um, uh, Donald Trump is a deliverance of God to America. Yes. That's how sick this is.
7: And, this, but, but, and, and, in that, and in that sense, that's where the, the Hitler stuff comes in, because it's where the people begin to see this individual above. And this is where the Jones, Jim Jones comparisons come in. When people start to say things like that, I heard a white woman mm-hmm. online talking about Donald Trump was sent from God, he's from God. The more people say that, they convince the leader that he's God. See, I'm studying, I'm writing an article right now on Father Divine, too. I love Father Divine. I think he was the greatest black man to ever live, you know. But Father Divine, the people kept telling him he was God. So he began to believe it. Jim Jones was told he was God first. Then he began to embrace it and teach it. And now people are beginning to stupidly say that Trump is somehow sent from God to save the white race, if you go back and look at Birth of a Nation, I showed this to my students at Berkeley last semester, we watched Birth of a Nation, and what I did not know is that Birth of a Nation culminates in a scene where everybody, the, the end of the world comes, and we get to heaven, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but it's, it's frightening, because in heaven is nobody there but a bunch of white folk. I's a bunch of white actors in heaven with Jesus afterward, and nobody black makes it or non white makes it into heaven at the end of the uh, birth of a nation and um, you know the psychology uh, the social psychology at place with whites right now is a really sick mentality we 're dealing with a, a, a collective i wish i mean perhaps you can get someone on the show next who does social psychology and can talk about collective psychology, crowd psychology and the way in which the white group um, effected a, a, a collective um, political outcome uh, by virtue of racial cues that were sent to them by Donald Trump when he's you know, talking down and talking about law enforcement, talking law and order. But then when he's also, at the end, if you remember, a few weeks out, he began to talk more and more about us and telling us what the hell we got to go on. And everybody kept saying he's not talking to black people. He's talking to white people. He's talking to white women to try to get them to vote for him and, and convince the white women that he's not racist by saying to us, what the hell you got going on you know, to lose. Well, lo and behold, mm-hmm. apparently it worked. Apparently he said that enough to white people to convince racist whites that they were not being racist and voting for a racist. Um, but this to me is the... The, uh, the, the the moment where um, most explicitly the as as Farrakhan would say you're, you know uh, their their skirt is up and their drawers are dirty they can't hide their racism um, in any way anymore.
5: Well, that's, even that's that is so key because they no longer have cover.
7: Right, and David Axelrod, you know who, who helped bring Obama in was on, I think, Bill Marshall arguing with John Legend defending Donald Trump, saying I don't think Donald Trump is a racist. And yeah. John Legend he says it's irrelevant whether he's a racist or not.
5: He just used it for the campaign. Get right. out of here. And, and that's
7: an little white liberalism that White, white liberals have been, and King was clear, Malcolm was clear, Farrakhan was clear, many of the sisters, like Ella Baker and um, Fannie Lou Hamer, they were clear that white liberalism has always been an obstacle for black progress. It always has yes. been, as is black liberalism. And, 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 well, and, and what me, we need uh, is a black consciousness.
5: Let's, 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 let's talk about what we need uh, yes. to, to, to begin to frame how we struggle through a a, a Trump government. I I don't say a a Trump administration because they are going to change the very fabric. I mean, people don't recognize that our government has continued to run under the administration of Bush appointees who were made government managers. Now they are going to be joined by people who are appointed by the likes of Chris Christie, Rudy Giuliani, Jeff Chase Sessions, um, John Bolton, and they're even talking about this Sheriff Clark from St. Louis Being yes. the head of Homeland Security, yes. and this negro, well,
7: this negro would come after you. He'd come after me, you yes. know. Um, and this is a part of a part of this is Barack Obama's responsibility. And I know his people don't want to hear it. His, his fans don't want to hear it. But with the uh, the uh, the NDAA, the, the National Defense Administration Act. Barack Obama effectively eliminated the Fourth Amendment in terms of the right of the people to be secure in their purpose, persons, papers, houses, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures. Barack Obama basically allowed the withering away of Fourth Amendment rights, Fifth Amendment rights, under Patriot One and Patriot II, even though you know Bush initiated these. Obama re- re-upped on them, and then re-upped on the NDAA, and he's after Snowden. It, you, know, he, you know, WikiLeaks has exposed all of this, but... I guess what I'm trying to say is whatever Donald Trump will have at his disposal in terms of the tools of the state, the secrecy of it, so much of it was forged by Barack Obama and his administration. None of us complained mm-hmm. when Barack Obama was putting out two million uh, Latino immigrants out of the country. But if Trump does it, we'll say it's a racist act. But Obama did it. Obama put more people out of this country than any president combined. You know, all the other presidents combined, I think, uh, is true. And, um, we don't hold that. You know, we, we, we're not afraid of that. But if Trump does it with the same tools, it's the devil. And, and so what I'm suggesting that is that Barack Obama, you know, really behaved like a white president, in, in, for, you know, for all intents and purposes. And he has set the table for Donald Trump with these laws and these uh, uh, the, uh, the NSA, the spying, the Internet, um, the telephones, all of the stuff that we learned about uh, during the recent investigations around the war, et cetera, um, all of that stuff is coming back to visit us with a vengeance. Yes. And this is the thing yes. that's haunting is the 80s, the New York 80s that I grew up in are coming to America with a vengeance. The, the, stop, and, uh, the stop and frisk, the, uh, what was it, the, the, the Central Park Five? All of that racial politics, Spike Lee, do the right thing, Malcolm X, uh, Bensonhurst, the riots, I grew up in all of that. And I'm saying to you that what these devils did in New York, Giuliani and Trump, they're bringing it to America. So what America is about to experience is what young people like me, who are in their 30s, 40s, and 50s, uh, now early 50s, experienced in the 1980s, 30 years
5: ago. What do we? uh, Before we go on to how this, so so I I would say we need
7: volunteerism to go back to your original question in terms of what we need to do. Mm -hmm. I think we need a we need a mentality of volunteerism, widespread, universal volunteerism. Meaning, black people who have resources and capacities and skills should find what they do best and put those skills and those talents to use to the elevation of black people, particularly our elders and our youth. I think black people who have law degrees need to put those law degrees to use and help people who need help. Even while you're feeding your family, making that money as a lawyer, there are pro bono obligations that people have to the black community, independent of their professional uh, pro bono obligations. I think that we need to unleash volunteerism The spirit of volunteerism throughout the black community, the way in which we began to, after the Million Man March, volunteerism went up throughout the black community, especially amongst black men, we were mobilized. And I think we have to do that. We need more solidarity. Solidarity that's based on common interests, not simply on our common blackness, but on our common interests around our blackness. I think we need to think about getting armed. You may not want your, you know, your audience to, talk, to think about that, but, uh, but there's a great tradition of Robert Williams, of uh, black southerners in general, your grandparents, guns. my grandparents. they were, Black folk had guns in the South like white folks did. That's right. Uh, my, that's my colleague, right. A- Akinyele Umojo, uh, just wrote a book called We Will Shoot Back. Another brother wrote a book um, that's called That Nonviolence Will Get You Killed that show. That black armed people is how the civil rights movement was able to preach morals to white people because other black folk had guns aimed at their asses. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. uh, let me tell you a little story. Brandy Norwood, Brandy, who is you know Moesha, Brandy, Ray J, the Kim Kardashian. I know all of those folk from back in the 80s and uh, 90s in um, in Los Angeles. We used to go to the same church. Their father, uh, Sonia Norwood. Um, Ray J's uh, grandmother and, and, I mean, Ray J's mother and Brandy's mother, her, their father was a man named uh, Brother Bates, uh, Mr. Bates. I can't remember his first name anymore. Um, he owned a bus company in Macomb, Mississippi, in the 1960s. And he loaned his own bu- This is great. Brandy and Ray J's granddaddy owned his own bus company in Macomb, Mississippi. Where's Brandy from? Google her. Macomb. Their grandfather owned his own black bus company and loaned it out to the Civil Rights Movement in 1964 when Stokely and those students went down there to, um, to, uh, to register their local blacks in Mississippi. And they told me of an incident. Uh, Sonia's uh, mother... The brandy and Ray J's grandmother explained that the white sheriff there tried to hold back their license from their bus company on one occasion, and Sonia's mother, who's now gone, she died about two years ago, went down to the sheriff's office with her gun and aimed and pointed at him, and said, "Give me my husband's license right now." That white man bent over, opened that Rolodex, and handed that black woman her husband's license, and he continued to support the civil rights movement with his buses. That's Brandy mm-hmm, and Ray J's mm-hmm. granddaddy. And I'm saying, we need to get armed. These people ain't playing with us. Every time an incident happens, every time Baltimore or Ferguson or L.A. blows up, white people go out and buy hundreds of thousands of guns. And black people are still sitting around waiting, uh, relying on white people's uh, dec- uh, you know sensibilities around the common ground or the common good or the beloved community that they're not trying to experience. So I think Black people who are civil, uh, uh, you know, civil in terms of law-abiding citizens need to get trained to get armed. We need to arm our families now and as much as we possibly can immediately. These white people are not playing with us, and they're coming. And we still sitting you around know, thinking, they are coming the government's going to take care of us. No, the government's a part of killing us.
5: And, and we haven't learned that lesson well enough. We, have, we don't synthesize it in our daily lives, and one of the things, like we're all <clears throat> uh, celebrating, that hundreds of people are out in the street um, protesting the election right. of of Donald Trump. Right. But none of us really know who those people are and what their point is, other right. than just being outraged. Right. And what we need to do, for instance, the um, Group, uh, The group, that, the, the Civil Liberties Group, published uh-huh. a, a letter today the ACLU? to Donald Trump saying, right. coming,
4: it, saying I mean.
5: that if you are not in line, we're coming for you. That's right. Our organizations have done nothing other than right. lament the loss of this election by Hillary Clinton. That's history. But see, this this is going to create. She understands that history. That's right. And Omarosa recently said
7: publicly that he has a long memory and he has an enemies list and he is going to check his enemies list. Um, And most
5: most powerful (laughs) white men do. That's right. But the beauty about this, they operate from their feelings. Yes,
0: but the beauty about
7: this is they can't control the whole thing. And they can't control the, un- uh, the unanticipated outcomes. And they can't control the, the, the total outcome. And, you know, yes, the police state and the, you know, the, the security state is real. But it's also true that these are revolutionary conditions that are being set up. And Donald Trump is such a revolting individual. This is like a King Henry VIII kind of thing, you know, where people mm-hmm. just cannot accept this man. And so as much as most Americans are slavish and will step in line and be obedient, especially whites, um, I think there's enough of a resentment and animosity toward this despicable human being that has manipulated this uh, electoral process uh, with racism in a way that um, will backfire. I'm actually, there's something about the way I feel right now that is actually thinking this is all going to backfire on white people and going to backfire on Donald Trump, and they are going to re- regret it. And, and I pray that, that we don't suffer uh, when, when, when the stuff hits the fan. But I definitely think that white Americans that voted for Donald Trump are going to be embarrassed and humiliated at some point. Um, Michael Moore is already saying that he doesn't think he's going to finish his first term.
1: And yeah, uh, the one that's professor... A, that's an
5: interesting thing. Um, I think that... Donald Trump has underestimated what it means to be president because yes, i don't ma'am. think i don't think that he ever really was really interested. I think that this was the shot from the bow of being publicly humiliated by Barack Obama at the uh press uh, white House press correspondence dinner years right. ago, right. and he got into this and then figured out this is fun, and I might be able to do something, especially after he bumped off all of those nine other candidates, uh, Republican uh, candidates. So I, I think he underestimates what this will mean and that his penchant toward being controlling and the final authority is going to get him into a lot of trouble. Yes. Yes. And we should be we should be ready for that.
7: And there's so uh, much we... that, I mean, in terms of this this, this case, um, not, the, the young lady apparently, the 13 year old apparently, uh, you know, closed her case uh, in terms of pursuing the rape uh, charges. But there there's the Judge Kuriel case coming up soon with the uh, Trump University. Uh, he's not immune to any of this stuff, and this is the kind of stuff that will lead to his destruction. Because he's a sick individual, and like you said, he's so self-absorbed that um, instead of trusting the people around him to carry out policy, he'll try to actually do it himself, and I think he'll mm-hmm. eventually uh, bust his head up against the wall, as they say.
5: Mm-hmm. Now, but, when, you talk about, when you talk about going forward and looking at uh, how our community is going to reframe, reinvent our own struggle one of the things that occurs to me is that we have to begin to look around us where we live where we sleep and where our children go to school yes and decide that we you know you know that old song it used to be a theme for this when i was on terrestrial radio it used to be like a theme ain't no stopping us now yes yes that we have to get into that mindset that's That right. at the local level.
7: Remember that? Remember that? Remember, remember how yeah. that felt when that song came out in every black community throughout America, like 81, 82, 83? Everybody was singing it. Black women in the neighborhoods were that's setting right. up these local community organizations. We have one called UPATA, the United Parents Against Drug Abuse. And that's really where I, got, I cut my teeth politically, was with a bunch of black mothers in the projects, including my own, protesting the, the emergence of crack in our neighborhood. And we called ourselves United Parents Against Drug Abuse. And our theme song was... Ain't no stopping us now so every summer i mean every uh sunday i mean every saturday throughout these hot new york summers we would go out and just start singing ain't no stopping us now and, and of course the line that says we're leaving the negative people way behind, just reminded yes. us, look, we just got through, they killed King, they killed Malcolm, they done, you know, we've had these setbacks, but we're still standing, so let's just turn around and move forward as a people toward the bright future, because there ain't no stopping us now, and that's what we that's were doing, right. that's, that was the attitude we had, and then they dropped crack in the middle of it,
0: because yes. we, yes. yeah. we were singing good
7: times, remember Sheik, good times, these
0: are, we were
7: singing good times, we were having a great time, even in the hood, uh, Sugar Hill Gang, they don't come with no hardcore rap. They come talking about hotel, motel, how they in, And, you know, they were rapping to good time because black people yes. had affected a mentality where we said, all right, we're done with this foolishness. We're going to turn and try to develop ourselves as a people. And then as soon as we begin that at the local level, um, you know, this is where the infiltration of crack uh, cocaine uh, right. comes in, into play. <laughs>
5: Because one of the things that we have to, and Irami in the clip that I played um, uh, talks about it, and that is we have to learn the mechanisms and the procedures by which we are governed. And once we learn those, and that's what uh, uh, Ella Baker was so good about, because she studied how things get, get done and we have to do that at the local level, because right. and and turn the tables, because what they have done in the last eight in the last eight years is figured out how to circumvent uh, um, federal law, and That's now right. we've got to figure out how at the local level at the state level how to circumvent federal law, because That's right. they are. Because you are absolutely right, they are coming for us.
7: That's right, and, and this is why you see in New York, uh, you have Mayor—I mean, you have the governor. Um, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Cuomo. Uh, and here in California, Jerry Brown uh, said months and months ago that if Donald Trump wins, we will build a wall around California. You know, and of course he's just talking, but the idea was, and, and the state legislature here in California released a paper yesterday, uh, uh-huh. a letter yesterday, in- basically saying we are, will be a safe haven for people of color if this, if it comes down to it. Exactly. And New York said the same exactly. thing. But it's sick you know, that the and, state and of New York and the state of California are telling us that minutia. we might have to
5: seek refuge. We we, we have to start thinking about it in the minutia. One of the things that comes to mind immediately is how we will continue to enforce the laws which govern landlords, which govern house sales, which govern police. That's right. Which govern the uh, educational agendas in our community. But, but we see, I think this is what in. we
7: we need we need we need high profile people to encourage these activities. Killer Mike is doing his best, but nobody knew Killer Mike before outside of the hip hop you know circles and marginal right. ones at that. Before Bernie's uh, campaign, he's doing a great job. Nina Simone is doing her thing, but again, she's a Bernie uh, supporter and she's largely I mean, o, Ohio sister that nobody knows out here. These older heads, you know, like Jesse and Al, they they don't have the uh, audience anymore. And Bra- Black Lives Matter is not. It. Because Black Lives Matter is more of a lesbian, uh, LGBT, transgender uh, movement against Mm -hmm. black people um, Mm -hmm. as much as it is a movement for black people. And most black people don't know that about uh, Black Lives Matter, that it is uh, a gender uh, movement uh, that pretends or at least trades on race when it's convenient. Of, of, of a black male victim, but if you check Black Lives Matter out and its operations and its, uh, its, 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 its presentation, it is not down with the black church. It's not down with black culture. It's not down with black heterosexuality. Right. Um, and, and that's and, you why know, it and, won't and, last.
5: And I did not mention the media, but if people really want to begin to have a in-depth, analysis of what has happened to the media, all you have to do is turn back and to see that this started many, many months ago.
0: Yes, ma'am. When Melissa
5: uh, Harris Paris, who was not a Hillary person, was dismantled from MSNBC as a commentator. And I, you know, I... With with her, I took what I could use and left the rest. But it began to bring in people who would tow the party, right. party line on Hillary Clinton. That's right. See, because I think for me, if if,
7: if if I could have the ear of the Black Lives Matter uh, leaders, and these sisters are right here in Oakland, we just have never met each other, uh, and we do, you know, we're here doing the same stuff. I just haven't met Alicia Garza and the others. But if if I could, you know, swing a magic wand for Black Lives Matter, I would say to them, stop marching, stop reacting to each incident, build relationships in existing local communities because they are the people. In other words, we're looking for a cohort of representative individuals. I don't want to call them leaders. But I'm saying we got them. They're Black Lives Matter, but their focus is on sexuality and gender and occasionally race or conveniently race. Um, and they're trying to do more about breaking through within the black community and making our preachers and our churches accept, you know, uh, sexuality uh, questions and issues um, as much as they are about knocking down racial barriers. But it would, it would be ideal if we could have a group of um, young people that took their energy and we covered black civil society. And what I mean by that is do what the Panthers did in terms of the programs that blessed black communities. If you want to use George Soros, use George Soros' money to mobilize food programs, exa- you know, disease testing, um, tutoring programs. Black civil society simply means wake up that part of the black world that the government would normally take care of. But we'll do it ourselves and without the government's taxes. So black civil society to... would be the boys and girls club. It would be the churches. It would be, um, uh, the, you know, it would be PAL, like you know, police athletic mm-hmm. league participation mm-hmm. in track and in basketball with our children and in other sports. I, I volunteer for my son's uh, all black male. I mean, all black school in West Oakland where the Panthers got started. There's a, a a Kip Bridge Academy over there. I volunteer. Many black parents volunteer just to be in the par, in the in the in the in the in the yard and in the classrooms with our children. And many black families are doing this. Um, yeah, and yeah. this is what we need. We need a black renaissance that comes from us, from below, not from white people or Harvard-educated black folk. We need a a, a black a black renaissance from that's a, Turning our that's, backs on white society. I think we need to turn a, our backs. I've said this on Carl Nelson's show repeatedly. We need to turn our backs on the white society to the extent that we can. We can't completely eradicate ourselves from them. I work at a white institution. You know, we're, we're all involved in this society and tied to it in some way. But we can have a, a Jewish mentality about it or an Indian mentality about it or a Chinese mentality about it. And all three of those groups I just mentioned, the Jews – the Chinese and other ethnic groups, Indians, uh, here in the Bay Area and in America, they participate in capitalism. They participate in the marketplace. They engage in wealth acquisition. They send their kids to the mainstream schools, but on Friday the Jews ain't got nothing to do with, uh, with, with Gentiles until Sunday, Monday, practically. And mm-hmm. Indians, those people close ranks and build institutions and build community, and then they integrate from a standpoint of strength. I don't want us to integrate at all, but they do it from a standpoint of strength, which is what Stokely Carmichael and Charles Hamilton said in Black Power. Close ranks, get your stuff together first, and then we can engage other people. This is what Martin Luther King called for. Most people won't take seriously that Martin Luther King, before he died, called for temporary segregation. He called for temporary, he said put a halt to integration we need to get ourselves together as a people and anybody listening to my voice as a black person has to recognize that integration underdeveloped black america i'll say it again integration underdeveloped black america and we have not recovered from it at the same time that the american state developed white america through land grants and other things and king tells us this. On YouTube, you can listen to Martin Luther King talk about the way in which the white folk were given land grants, land grant universities, you know, throughout America to build their middle classes and build themselves up at the same time that these white folk told black people, pick yourself up by your own bootstrap. Uh, And King is critical of this. And I think we as a people have got to become black conscious with a a deep intention uh, because white people have already told you they don't want you. They love everything about right. you but you. They love your yep. culture. We're running
5: out of – sure. The, the clock is calling us, Dr. Sure. Taylor, but um, sure. you are still an interlocutor. And, yes. And uh, thank you so much for co-hosting it's with been us. it my pleasure. And, and I think that's a, a wonderful way in which to round this out, that we need a black re- renaissance. Yes. And we need it fast, and we need it in every community. Thank you so much for being with us. I hope you'll be with us next month. Absolutely. Anytime. I'm going to be calling you on a monthly basis. We want to thank, uh, uh, don't go away, but we want to um, thank all of you for being with us and hope you'll join us next week with the co-editor of the Black Agenda Report, Bruce Dixon who is no stranger at our common ground. Don't forget to join India Declare and the I Declare show on Wednesdays at 9 p.m. And Yvette Carnell of BreakingBrown.com and Irami osei for bong they are going to be on their broadcast Monday and Wednesday. And we hope that you'll have a good week, you'll have a thinking week, I'm Janice Graham, and as always, I'll be listening for you.
3: his name! his name! his name! to say his name! Say my boy, say his
5: Thank you so much for being with us here tonight at Our Common Ground. I'm so glad that you could join us. Join us every Saturday night at 10 p.m. speaking truth to power and ourselves. Don't forget, catch us on Facebook and Twitter at Janice OCG. I'm Janice Grant, and every Saturday night, I'll be listening for you.